0: Ag markets are recovering after a commodity-wide sell-off Wednesday, while the Dow hits record highs after the Fed signals rate cuts in 2024. FSA announces new pandemic assistance for producers in Congress gets ready to adjourn for 2023 with no farm or spending bills.
1: Live from the downslope of the week via Farm Journal broadcast, this is Talk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Senator Chuck Grassley, then it's Todd Wilkinson from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and later Zach Ducheneau from the Farm Service Agency, directly following the news, Greg Henderson from Drover's Eye, am handsome newsman Davis Michelson, now filling in for Chip, Michelle
0: Rook good morning thanks so much davis
1: yeah yeah well,
0: we see green on the board this morning thank goodness after the terrible day we had yesterday in the commodity sector
1: yeah fortunately one day does not a market make as they say thank and it's goodness. a good thing too because i wouldn't take yesterday's market
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, we got cut up a little bit in the grains on that argentina peso devaluation news but hopefully uh, cooler heads are prevailing today meanwhile the Stock market hitting some record highs, at least on the Dow here after the Fed announcement yesterday.
1: Yeah, a lot of excitement there. And, you know, we talked with Bubba yesterday just real real quickly in the afternoon show about where the, where the perception of where money should go, where is I don't know if safe money is the right word, but on days like yesterday, it, it's definitely there's a, a certain amount of flight from the commodities to the equities. And we saw a pretty good demonstration of that just yesterday.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we got a lot of stuff we're going to be covering here today. Um, why don't you kick yeah. us off with the news?
1: For sure. Uh, well, let's start with the uh, National Weather Service weather outlook here in Kansas City right now. Forty-three degrees, sunny. Headed for a high of fifty-four. It, it looks like it's going to be a great day. What? How's South Dakota treating you today? Are you in South Dakota? Are you in Southie? You
0: know what? We are seeing record near record temperatures. We're going to be up Ooh. in the forties today, if you can believe wow. it. Yeah. That's excellent.
1: Well, more broadly, the National Weather Service weather outlook calls for moderate to heavy snow and below average temperatures likely over portions of the southern Rockies and the high plains through early morning. Increasing excessive rainfall concerns over Florida, northern tier and the west are set to warm up. And that reflects what we saw in the both the six to 10 day and the eight to 14 day forecasts yesterday. That warm air expanding.
0: Markets cheered the feds. Oh, yes, go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine.
1: Well, markets cheered the Fed's dovish pivot on Wednesday, signaling much improved risk appetite. The U.S. stock indices surged. Gold prices soared back above $2,000. The U.S. dollar index plunged to the lowest level since August 10, and Treasury uh, Treasury yields declined with the benchmark 10-year note yield dropping below 4%. Now, that was on a move uh, in the crude oil market. The WTI skidded below 60 bucks today. <laughs> The January crude oil uh, is up $2.42, 71.89. Look out to the May contract, May 24. We're up $2.29, 72.78. Pretty green across the board there in the crude oil. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the Fed said maybe 24, 75 basis points of cuts. So certainly that was, again, cheered by the market.
1: Well, at the same time, the Bank of England kept its interest rates at a 15-year high of 5.25%. There was no discussion of cutting interest rates in the UK.
0: Yeah, they're not following the U.S., that's for sure. Yep. Well,
1: the House has passed the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act of 2023, which aims to permit schools to include whole milk as an option alongside low-fat, lactose-free, and non-fat milks. And, Michelle, we've been... We've been discussing this with uh, Representative G.T. Thompson uh, and others. I'm going to talk to uh, see if I can get Robin Schmall to swing in uh, the fourth segment of this afternoon's show. And just we can chat about market implications or whatever. But this is a good this is a good thing. You you get whole milk back in the schools.
0: Yeah. And the dairy industry has been fighting for this for a long (laughs) time.
1: Well, as you mentioned, Congress is about to go home for Christmas, but there will be no farm or spending bills among its Christmas presents this year. The old farm bill was extended for the rest of the new fiscal year in a stopgap spending bill, but House Ag Chair G.T. Thompson argues the following.
2: It is not and should not be in lieu of a comprehensive and thoughtful bipartisan five-year reauthorization of the farm bill. However, significant headwinds exist. These range from stark, the stark politics of the 118th Congress to the costs and funding constraints across the 12 titles of the Farm Bill.
1: And Michelle, I was I was talking off air with uh, producer Big Apple Joe. Well, you were there. We're we're going to see if we can get GT Thompson here to talk about this uh, more specifically from the policy side uh, when uh, when Chip returns next week.
0: Sounds good.
1: Automaker Tesla has recalled more than two million vehicles over autopilot software. The automaker said it would update the driver assistance program in nearly every car it has manufactured in the U.S. since 2012 to help prevent misuse. Tesla remains under investigation from fe- federal regulators over safety concerns. Are uh, you, you interested in a Tesla? Are you driving a Tesla right now by any chance, No, Michelle? I am not. No? And I'm not no?
0: interested in one, thanks.
1: Yeah, nor am I. Nor am I. You know, my... <laughs> My Jeep doesn't even have like a little push button for the, uh, for the locks. I'm full manual. Just give me the old school manual stuff. I
0: know.
1: In other news, a coalition of ag organizations representing farmers sent a letter to the U.S. Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party regarding permanent normal trade relations with China. The committee is considering recommending that Congress repeal China's PNTR status and the groups say the impact would have sharply negative consequences. And finally, here the National Corn Growers Association, Michelle, announced the winners of the 2023 National Corn Yield Contest. This is, wow, the yields included a national record of 623.8 bushels per acre from David Hula of Virginia. That beat the previous record of 619.1 bushels per acre. Michelle, over to you.
0: Yeah, he is the corn king. Well, uh, thanks. (laughs) uh, Thanks so much, Davis. Appreciate it. Well, Greg Henderson, Editorial Director for Farm Journal's Drovers, is back with us this morning. Good morning, Greg.
2: Good morning, Michelle.
0: Well, Greg, we have seen some real volatility recently in the feeder cattle markets here. Let's talk a little bit this morning about how that's changed the outlook for cattle feeders.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's a good news, bad news situation, Michelle, because, you know, when feeder cattle prices go down, that's bad news for producers. But it is good news for cattle feeders. Cattle feeders, according to Sterling Marketing's uh, estimates last week, were losing about $100 a head. uh, And that's due primarily to those cattle coming out had 74% of their cost was in those feeder cattle. Wow. Now the cattle being placed this week, that's down to 69% of their cost. In other words, 5% lower, right? And those break-evens, and the, the as we know, the feed costs are down too. And the break-evens are now in those low 160s. That means that cattle marketed next June could be hedged. Because this morning, uh, Michelle, I'm just looking here, they're at 168.75. So there actually could be a profit hedged in there. Sterling suggests that those cattle could be in the 180s when they sell next June. So there's significant opportunities for cattle feeders to hedge in a profit and uh, the outlook for, uh, you know, first and second quarter next year, much better than it's been that fourth quarter of this year.
0: So a pretty quick turnaround here from profit to loss and then back to profit, huh?
2: Yeah, they, you know, we saw a similar situation in 2014 to 2015, but it was more protracted. It took longer. This has been a quick turnaround again. The bad news is, you know, it's coming at the expense of feeder cattle producers, although they are expected to have a pretty good year next year. So we hope uh, profits extend for both segments.
0: Yeah. Well, we need some we need some black ink here in this cattle market. We need to get healed back up, don't we, Greg?
2: We absolutely do. It's been a rough four or five years up until uh, 2023.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for that update today. Greg Henderson, editorial director for Farm Journal Strovers, will be back with Senator Grassley.
2: When you protect your corn and soy crops with Miravis neofungicide, you'll start seeing a lot more than just cleaner and greener fields. You'll get longer lasting disease control, better plant health benefits, less plant stress, higher potential yield, and increased ROI potential. Ask your Syngenta retailer about Miravis Neo and start seeing more green in your fields, on your yield monitor, and in your wallet. Always read and follow label
3: instructions. Leave low yields in the dust and never look back. Rev up your return on investment with Syngenta. Our innovative portfolio of crop protection products outperforms and out yields any deal, giving you higher yield, and profit potential at the finish line. Syngenta,
1: where better yield is the better deal. Always read and follow label instructions. Every acre tells a story, but to hear it, you need the right tools. Tyrannus Acre Forward Intelligence turns leaf-level data into actionable insights. Read your fields from the palm of your hand. Make decisions with more
3: certainty and speed than ever before and have a more informed discussion with your retailer to preserve
1: your hard-earned farm legacy, season after season.
2: Every acre tells a story. Find yours at acreforward.com. That's acreforward.com.
3: There I was, driving along, when I saw the corn laying down in the field. Goosenecked again. Even though I tried everything. New traits, existing soil insecticides. Every corn grower knows the hassle of gooseneck corn. But now there's Nerisma Insecticide from BASF. A better, stronger in insecticide that controls corn rootworm and below-ground pests. Stand up for your corn with Neurisma Insecticide. Ask your authorized BASF retailer about Neurisma, and always read and follow label directions.
0: If you served, we want you to get the health care and benefits you earned. We want you to come to VA. There's never been a better time to apply. Under a new law called the PACT Act, we've expanded VA care and benefits to millions of people who served and their survivors.
1: No matter where you served or how long you served, check out
2: va.gov slash PACT to learn more about what VA can do for you and your family.
0: Come to VA.
1: What is dedication? My biggest fear in the middle of my addiction was that my kids wouldn't have a father. And I started thinking, you know what? This isn't my story. I definitely had to become a better man to be a better father. It's important to me that my kids are empowered and truly believe that if if they can think it, they can do it.
4: That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov
5: to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
2: Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on machinerypeat.com.
0: Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Michelle Rook in for Chip Flory this morning. And a real pleasure for us to uh, invite in Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley this morning. And uh, good morning, Senator.
6: Michelle, uh, Merry Christmas to you and Chip.
0: Well, thank you so much. Are you still in D.C. or are you at home on the farm in Iowa?
6: No, I hope to be on the farm tomorrow or the next day at the latest, but it's still up in the air. We could be in session next week. So I don't have an answer for you and maybe in three or four hours, I could answer your question, but not now because, uh, Schumer who runs the United States Senate, he's the Democrat leader, uh, he's keeping it close to his vest. What's exactly going to happen when we shut down for Christmas?
0: So do you think you're gonna go home without any farmer spending bills done?
6: Uh that's right. We won't we will not get that done until January the nineteenth.
0: So do we avoid a government shutdown here?
6: Well, we do for now, but it could happen on January the nineteenth. It shouldn't right. happen because the, the appropriations committees of both the House and Senate have done something that hasn't been done for many years. And that they voted out 12 separate appropriation bills. In other words, the way we used to do appropriations in this body, we used to have 12 separate bills funding the government. We had debate and amendment on all these bills. And we haven't done that for a long time. We're trying to get back to it. So the Appropriations Committee put out their respective bills. But then when it gets to the floor, Schumer doesn't, progress uh, and bring them up on the floor the way we normally should be doing it. So this is all put off until uh, the dates between we reconvene on January the 8th and January 19th deadline.
0: Yeah, we've had CRs forever, and I know that that is um, something that a lot of people have been upset about, including yourself. I have to ask you as well, Senator, uh, you and Senator Tammy Baldwin are introducing a bill to push USDA to investigate the fertilizer industry. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about that with you this morning, because we've been watching these record high fertilizer prices for a while. And so you are calling for an investigation because what you think there's concentration that's led to that.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or lack of competition, or I guess maybe it's uh, one and the same. But let me say it this way. First of all, the statistic, out of all the increase of input costs, fertilizer adds up to about 32 to 35% of it. Uh, Beyond that, this legislation is not going to guarantee lower prices, but we don't know what causes the high prices. So we're, uh, uh, we're given the responsibility through this legislation uh, to uh, the Secretary of Agriculture uh, to study it and find out if there's competition, whether there's supply chain problems, uh, whether we are having enough uh, uh, international competition to keep the price down. One thing that we did accomplish in this area over a period of at least a year fighting to get it done. You know, uh, I think the company is Oasis in Florida. That's got 80% of the phosphate business in the United States. Uh, They asked the government of the previous administration to put a 20% tariff on imports from Morocco. And why, if you have 80% of the business in the United States, would you need any protection uh, from imports? But that kept the price higher than it needed to be. So over a course of a year, and we finally got this done about a month ago, we got the Commerce Department, and I suppose President Biden in turn, uh, got uh, them to reduce the tariffs from 20% uh, down to 2%. So that'll help some. But this whole uh, bill that you asked me about is to get the Secretary of Agriculture looking into all this, So if there is collusion, if there's antitrust, he can suggest action uh, to the uh, FTC and to the Justice Department to take action through lawsuit.
0: This also directs USDA to maybe investigate transparency and pricing too, so we can see more about what's causing the cause and effect, right?
6: Yes, and and those words you use would be included and intended in this legislation.
0: So you have pretty good support from farm groups right now, but where's the fertilizer industry stand on this?
6: Well, if they are afraid of a government investigation, then that's evidence that there's probably uh, some hanky panky going on, and we don't. And that would tell us a lot. I don't know whether they come out against it or not. If they were smart, they'd support it.
0: Yeah. Also, have to ask you, Senators Tester and Rounds have introduced a resolution to overturn the lifting of that uh, ban on beef from Paraguay. Is that something you support?
6: Yeah, I think we, Well, here, here. That's. I think that's rated, uh, related to hoof and mouth disease, right? Correct. So, if it is, we don't want hoof. We don't want hoof and mouth disease in the United States, whether it's from Paraguay, Uruguay. Uh, uh, most often it's against uh, cattle coming from uh, Brazil, but wherever it is, we can't afford to have that in the United States.
0: Mm-hmm. I also, since you're in the Senate Finance Committee chair of that group, I want to ask you some uh, movement about trade here. Of course, there's a special House committee uh, focused on China that's kind of looking at maybe some sort of a repeal of PNTR and maybe. Um, increasing tariffs on certain Chinese-made goods. What's your thoughts about that?
6: Well, this would be a most favored nation trade with China. That They get that status, and then they get special exemptions. Uh, I think I would support that. I'd follow it up with a little bigger thing and be willing to, uh, I suppose, somewhat embarrassed to tell you about a mistake I made probably 23 24 years ago, I was a big advocate for China being a member of the World Trade Organization because I felt uh, that if they're in the tent, in the organization, uh, living by the rules of international trade, the whole world would benefit, including the United States. Uh, The trouble is uh, China's in the WTO, but they aren't living by the rules of international trade. They're stealing our property, intellectual property. our. the trademarks. Uh, if you want to do business there, you got to uh, cooperate fully with uh, 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 nationalized companies of China. Uh, they subsidize their exports, uh, et etc. et cetera. They aren't living by the rules. And I think I'm willing to admit that I made a mistake by uh, getting China in the World Trade Organization.
0: Well, is there another trade war brewing, do you think?
6: Well, I guess with China not abiding by the uh, uh, rules of international trade, uh, that in and of itself describes a trade war. Now, if you're talking about a trade war from this standpoint, that the United States raises tariffs, other places raises tariffs, or we keep products of a certain country out of the United States, so they keep our products out, there's a little bit of that going on, but I don't think it has. A big impact.
0: Yeah. So a related topic. I think the big
6: impact. But go ahead, sir. By the way, let me let me say this. Uh, When it comes to the whole issue of trade, the reason that trade isn't expanding the way it should, the Biden administration is not negotiating free trade agreements. They don't even want to use the word free trade, and it's become pretty protectionist administration. And I'm sorry to say that there's some Republicans think that that's the right thing to do. But you know, in agriculture, when we produce a third of our product that we don't consume domestically, uh, imports and the reduce or exports and reducing tariffs to other countries is where the most of the prosperity in American agriculture comes from.
0: No doubt. Uh, The other thing I wanted to ask you about, so the Treasury Department is going to provide some details maybe by tomorrow on how qualifying for sustainable aviation fuel credits under the Inflation Reduction Act work. What are you expecting, and will ethanol qualify, do you think?
6: Well, uh, the ethanol industry and the corn producers want us to use something that goes by the acronym, I think, C-R-E-E-T or something like uh, uh, that's not exactly the way it is. Let's see if I can think of what it should be. G-R-E-T-T. No, G-R-E-E-T. Uh, what that acronym stands for, I don't know. But it's a way that, that uh, uh, Europe has decided to, uh, to back up the input right. uh, into uh, sustainable aviation fuel and that's what I have written the Department of Treasury to do. And that's best for corn, soybeans, the ethanol industry. You bet. And they go a different
5: Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. woots! <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed.
1: And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride.
5: Love that guy. Me too.
1: Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.
3: I'm Tyne Morgan, host of U.S. Farm Report, the only weekend television show that features some of agriculture's biggest names. From custom commentary from John Phipps to the stories of antique iron with machinery Pete to a list of more than 30 marketing analysts, our weekly program focuses on the topics that matter most to you. We invite you to join us each weekend for U.S. Farm Report, timely, trusted tradition. Time for Markets Now with the experts from Pro Farmer.
0: And we welcome in Brian Grady, editor of Pro Farmer, with a look at our markets. And Brian, a little bit uh, of green on the board this morning. Nice to see after the commodity-wide sell-off we saw yesterday.
4: Yeah, uh, pretty much everything except for soy meal, Uh, Michelle, is trading higher here at mid-morning. Nothing uh, too significant. Uh, The gains are are relatively modest, but uh, uh, trading to the upside, which is a positive. You know, We had another soybean sale this morning, so that's the seventh day in a row. Uh, this one was 23, 24 crop, and, and that's what the bulk of them have been aside from yesterday. So, um, you know, unknown destinations uh, was was uh, the buyer today, and, and everybody kind of assumes it's China, but uh, uh, I guess you you never really know for, for certain until uh, that comes through in, in some of the uh, weekly data. Um, speaking of weekly data, you know, over a million tons... Uh, across the board for corn, beans, and wheat. Uh, So that's uh, a pretty impressive performance and and something that rarely happens where you see all three of them uh, with uh, old crop sales above a million tons in a a given week.
0: Yeah, so exports corrected by and helping out the grains. What about uh, the cattle market? Uh, Can we continue to keep going higher there?
4: Yes, we had the three days of uh, corrective gains, and then it uh, pulled back yesterday and, and finished lower. Uh, we're trying to, to work solidly to the upside. Feeder cattle are, are sharply higher here at mid-morning and uh, moderate gains in the uh, the live cattle market. That's despite uh, some weakness in the cash cattle trade early on. So uh, we'll have to see if maybe the uh, future strength can uh, shore up a little bit of support underneath the cash market uh, as we move forward. And then hog futures uh, pushing sharply to the upside aside from the December contract which expires today.
0: All right, thanks for that update, Brian Grady, editor of Pro Farmer.
1: Hey y'all, I'm Kelly Clarkson. Every American dreams of creating a better life for his or her family, but in some communities, those dreams face difficult challenges. When we come together to help those in need, get the same opportunities as everyone else, we truly are making our country a better place to live for all of us. So look for volunteer opportunities in your community to help others achieve the American dream, all right? This message is courtesy of the United States Air Force. Hi, I'm Ag Day host Clinton Griffiths, and I invite you to join me each morning as we cover the nation's food system. From fields of green to orchards of orange and livestock everywhere in between, America runs on agriculture. And here at Ag Day, agriculture is what we do best. Listen as our analysts track the markets, learn about innovations in technology and sustainability, and live the country lifestyle through the eyes of rural America. Join me, Clinton Griffiths, for Ag Day, the country experience. Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on Agritalk.
0: Well, good morning and welcome back to Agritalk. Thanks for joining us. I'm Michelle Rookin for Chip Flory. Todd Wilkinson, president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, back with us for this segment. Lots to talk about, Todd, and uh, good morning.
7: Oh, good morning to you, Michelle. Always good to talk to
0: you. Yeah, no doubt. Let's talk about, first of all, the Fed lowering interest rates yesterday, signaling maybe rate cuts in 2024. Um, Certainly, this is good news for agriculture. Maybe the lower dollar would help uh, beef exports? Talk a little bit about what you see.
7: Well, obviously the, uh, the rapid increase in interest rates had a, had a big impact on the farm uh, economy. You know, some of us that have been around long enough can remember interest rates back in the eighties being much worse. Uh, but that as quickly as these interest rates escalated, uh, it certainly is impacting uh, producers in terms of their operating lines and, 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 you know, if we can get that dollar um, uh, to correct and and be able to jump in and, and make our 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 exports uh, a little more attractive from a purchase standpoint, it would really help move um, a lot of product.
0: And from a domestic standpoint, certainly less inflation should be good for consumer demand, especially for beef. Don't you think?
7: Yeah, and you know that's that's been a big concern. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to sell calves at the price I sold them at this fall. Um, but, you know, we, the, the consuming public in the United States has is, is been just tremendous uh, for demand. But we don't, we don't want to go up so fast that uh, we kill the, the goose that laid the golden egg here because we need that consumer to be able to continue to afford our products.
0: So we ran up to these record high levels in September on cattle and I know you and I have talked about, you know, how long can you stay at those levels and I know you were concerned about consumer demand but we've had, you know, historically tight uh, supplies in the industry, then we got what a $60 drop in feeder cattle futures 35 and live cattle futures, what has been the impact of that crash on producers.
7: Well the good thing is um you know from the from the cow calf perspective the the price for the, the the calves has been just as you know just just uh off the charts these have been just record uh numbers coming in and which is really what the cow calf sector needed so badly needs to be able to build some some equity back on the bottom lines for uh, for a lot of the producers out there i think um the The uh, feeder board and the the live cattle board are impacting uh, uh, producers more from a risk administration standpoint. Uh, You know, when you get that rapid fluctuation, it can really have an impact on on your hedge accounts. And but from the from the price that's been out there, I I think we're we're still seeing enough of a, a difference between actual cash price and and the uh, futures that that we're still doing pretty good in the countryside.
0: Yeah, and I know uh, Greg Henderson was on this morning talking about how feeder margins uh, for Fed producers probably have improved a little bit with this pullback in feeder prices. Okay, I got to ask you, and I know that you've heard the rhetoric, um, LRP. There's some saying that at least the last part of the sell-off in feeder cattle futures was attributed to the LRP program. Is that true?
7: And, you know, we we jumped into that and um, went into a whole bunch of sources and based upon what we've been able to come up with, that is not true. Um, you know, there was rumors out, out there about underwriters being in uh, tough financial shape and, and solvency issues, um, you know, that that appears not to be the case. Uh, It it appears to be more attributable to the October and November uh, uh, Fed reports than uh, than anything else. You know, the the biggest thing, Michelle, that I would say about that, and I I was very concerned when when the feeder board started rocketing down, are we going to have some of these underwriters fail? Uh, The news that we got back is irregardless of everything else, uh, there are ample reserves in place and and that. No producer, even if an underwriter would have failed, no producer is going to get uh, left holding the bag. So uh, the the producer can, can rest assured that that system is going to function, which is great. But all the rumors that were out there about, uh, you know, blame the big backgrounders or blame um, LRP, th- those appear to be largely unfounded.
0: Well, there's still talk that there was subsidy harvesting by some of those larger feedlot entities and maybe Iowa Congressman uh, Randy Feenstra looking at asking RMA to make some changes in LRP. Um, So is that something that NCBA will support? No? Well,
7: well, we got to look at them. Um, uh, Certainly looking at whatever the representative uh, Feenstra is, is proposing, you know, the only thing I would tell you is LRP has been a really awesome tool and has gained huge acceptance. Uh, we just want to make sure that we don't um, manipulate the market uh, by changing too much, but always open to uh, new ideas. And if we need to tweak it and if it's going to help the producer, you know, NCBA is, is uh, focused on the producer. So I guess proof will be in what the detail is.
0: You bet. So we talked uh, just a little bit ago with Senator Grassley about this resolution that was offered in the Senate to overturn USDA lifting the Paraguay beef ban. And I know they had a similar resolution on the Brazil beef ban when it was lifted. Um, Is this going to do anything or not? I mean, is it possible that it will have an effect?
7: Michelle, you're talking to one of the most frustrated people when it comes to Brazil and now now Paraguay. Uh, This shouldn't be happening. Uh, The Senate shouldn't have to be taking those steps. Uh, Our secretary of agriculture should have taken those steps a long time ago. As it relates to Brazil, we've, we've seen no ability uh, by USDA to be able to tell us that Paraguay is is, that product uh, is not a risk to our, our system in terms of a Paraguay's ability to evidence that they're in compliance. Uh, whatever we can do to bring pressure on, on the uh, USDA to properly deal with that, it is immensely frustrating from us. And I've talked to Secretary Vilsack personally about this. It's just immensely frustrating that that USDA has taken the position that they won't protect our markets from Brazil and Paraguay.
0: Well, I talked to USDA Undersecretary Alexis Taylor about this issue. She said trade has to go both ways.
7: Yeah, trade does have to go both ways, but this is not just a trade issue. This We're not shutting it off because of trade. We'll compete with anybody. This is a an issue of whether or not they are going to monitor their herds for compliance with foot and mouth disease. And we, we've, we've established an awesome product in the United States and the consumer trusts what we do. We don't need to, to jeopardize anything uh, for that consumer. And it's just frustrating that the rules are out there. So the, the rules are in place. So let them play by the rules. Let them have to do what everybody else has to do, and if they can't, if they can't have systems in place in both Paraguay and Brazil, it looks like we're we're bending over backwards for somebody else. And I would ec- echo uh, what I heard S- Senator Grassley say: it appears this administration is is more focused on other things mm-hmm. uh, than trying to improve uh, trade. And it's ironic now suddenly we got uh, Paraguay getting broad. In um, when they can't tell us and they can't prove that they are foot and mouth disease compliant.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully it'll get USDA to reverse their action on that. Also, uh, Todd FSIS has sent voluntarily the voluntary labeling rule to OMB for review. Um, Talk a little bit about where your stance is on this, on this U.S. origin claim, and how is this different from MCOOL?
7: Well, it's, it's voluntary, and then that's that's the first thing. But NCBA has always been in favor of a label that clearly differentiates, you know, whether it's um, Brazil, whether wherever the country is, we don't want the public misled as to where that beef is coming from. The, the ability to get a voluntary rule in there so that a producer can then rely on it if they want to... Uh, promote their product and differentiate it from a product from another country is is really important and we we were the ones that called on um, on on pushing those rules originally um, several years ago you know MCOOL is a is a a different animal that's a mandatory uh situation and it also is across the board and it would impact uh other areas you know one of the things that that frustrates me about MCOOL is if you put it in the way that it's proposed, there's a whole section of the country up in the Northeast that takes beef, they take their their animals, they raise uh, Pennsylvania, Virginia, those areas, Um, they send those cattle up to be finished in Canada and then bring them back down. And suddenly those cattle are, even though they're born in the United States, they're simply being fed in Canada Uh, and then uh, the producers bring them back down, suddenly those don't comply. That would ruin a big market out there for those Northeast producers. And we got to be careful about um, implementing something that's going to have an unintended consequence and really hurt a bunch of producers that have developed some some awesome cattle out there.
0: Yeah, and MCOOL has not been WTO compliant, has it?
7: It has not. It has not.
0: All right. Well, Todd, we appreciate you being on today. You and your family have a wonderful holiday. Appreciate your time being on. And uh, you're off to Minnesota Cattlemen's this afternoon?
7: I'm headed to Minnesota Cattlemen's and um, looking forward to a great meeting up in Alexandria. And again, to all your listeners, uh, Merry Christmas from NCBA. And uh, let's keep these calf prices up there.
0: All right, NCBA President Todd Wilkinson joining us here on AgriTalk.
6: Hello? Man, where are you? I thought you were coming. I can't. I'm in bed with the flu. <laughs> the flu? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grandma's about to crowd sir. Man, I'll call you back. Don't get stuck at home with the flu. A flu shot is safe, effective, and you can get it at the same time as your COVID-19 vaccine. A flu shot is the best way to prevent the flu and its potentially serious complications. Don't get flu FOMO. Learn more at GetMyFluShot.org.
2: Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. I'm Tyne Morgan, host of U.S. Farm Report. Join me each weekend
3: as we explore the news and issues that matter the most to agriculture. We know this past year has been challenging in many ways, but as agriculture continues to adapt, we are right there with you. From markets to weather, each weekend we take a deep dive into what matters most. Join me each weekend for U.S. Farm Report, Timely Trusted
7: Tradition.
6: Hello? Man, where are you? I thought you were coming. I can't. I'm in bed with the flu. <laughs> the flu? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grandma's about to crowd sir. Man, I'll call you back. Don't get stuck at home with the flu. A flu shot is safe, effective, and you can get it at the same time as your COVID-19 vaccine. A flu shot is the best way to prevent the flu and its potentially serious complications. Don't get flu
3: FOMO.
1: Learn more at GetMyFluShot.org.
2: Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council.
1: This is Andrew McCray, host of the American Countryside. I'm also a farmer and rancher from northwest Missouri, and I hope you'll join me each week for Farming the Countryside as we take a look at the top issues impacting agriculture as told by the people farming and working in their industry. We'll talk about markets and trade, share some of the latest tips and trends for grain and livestock producers, and take a look at trends impacting rural America. Join me for Farming the Countryside on many local radio stations or on your favorite podcast platform, or just go to farmingthecountryside.com.
7: Tristan Byer, Crop Nutrition Lead at the Mosaic Company joins us right now. Tristan, we know the importance of nitrogen, especially in corn. Talk to me more about potassium and its role in crop production.
5: Potassium has many different roles. I think oftentimes it's recognized for the importance of disease resistance, uh, helps some stress management because it does activate over 80 different enzymes to help regulate plant growth reactions. If you look at products that Mosaic offers, things like that of Aspire, It doesn't only have potassium, but it can have boron and other nutrients that help nitrogen work better, being taken up in greater quantities of the plant that can overall reduce the chances for nutrient deficiencies.
7: Okay, you mentioned Aspire. Mosaic recently released new research regarding corn and nitrogen and potassium uptake with Aspire. Tell me about that research. What we found was nitrogen
5: uptake increased by 17% and potassium uptake increased by 11% by using Aspire compared to that of, of MOP or your regular fertilizer applications. Showing that, compared to our traditional fertilizer applications, you know, Aspire is truly uh, getting more of those nutrients into the plant more efficiently. This is at early growth stages. Uh, we see, you know, approximately that b 6 growth stage, and that helps sets the stage for a better plant growth throughout the growing season much of the potassium is taken up throughout the season during those early plant or rapid growth stage symptoms. And then it can lead to and help explain why we see a better yield responses at the end of the year.
1: Excellent
7: Tristan, where can growers go to learn more?
5: Go to cropnutrition.com and there's a number of different resources different products such as Aspire that
7: you can learn more about. All right, thank you Tristan, that is Tristan Beyer, Crop Nutrition Lead for the Mosaic Company.
3: The United Soybean Board invested $2 million to help underwrite part of the cost of deepening this lower stretch of the Mississippi River from a minimum of 45 feet of water depth to 50 feet. And soybean farmers recognize that if you can go an additional 5 feet of water depth, what that means is that you can put more freight and in our case soybeans per vessel from about 2.4 million bushels of soybeans to 2.9 million bushels of soybeans.
4: Infrastructure is one of the major things that we need to be improving, vital to be able to get our product to market and to make it more appealing to your world market. That product has to be as cheap to ship as possible.
3: Learn more at unitedsoybean.org.
1: We don't make the news. We render it. Agritalk.
0: And welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Michelle Rook in for the vacationing chip, Chip Flory. Zach Ducheneau, Farm Service Agency Administrator out of Washington, D.C., is back with us this morning. Good morning, Zach.
3: Good morning, Michelle. It's always a pleasure to visit.
0: No doubt. Well, you have an announcement that came out yesterday. USDA is going to begin issuing PR P A R P payments. And I talked to you a couple of weeks ago and you said you'd been getting a lot of questions about this. So, um, give us a few explanations of how you are going to be handling, disseminating some of these assistance dollars.
3: You bet. So PARP, as you'll recall, is the sort of the capstone of all of the pandemic assistance programs. And I think the funding for that actually dates back to December of 2021 and you'll recall, that, or of 2020 rather, and you'll recall when the administration came in, we put a pause on CFAP-2 payments so we could get with the countryside, find out what gaps there were, and build programs to try to meet those gaps. From this, we got the PATH program to help timber haulers and harvesters, Odd Map for organic dairy. We got the Spot Market Hog Protection Program. A lot of programs that were kind of fitting into the crevices where our regular offerings for disaster assistance don't really fit pandemic assistance revenue program is one of the first iterations of a revenue-based approach that that we've taken in quite some time at the department, as I understand it. And the idea was using revenue as a marker would help better capture the loss, regardless of what other tools you might have. Uh, One of the challenges of this program that, that we're experiencing and hearing some feedback from the countryside is the extreme factor that we had to use in order to equally distribute the payments. Uh, The factor on the payment based on your eligible loss is about nine and a half percent. So I've got a mailbox full of emails from producers that are upset and wanting to understand. So we're really glad to have this conversation with you, Michelle, and, and the folks here so we can get the word out about what the reality of delivering these programs are.
0: Yeah, well, $223 million just doesn't go very far, does it, nowadays?
3: It doesn't. And we had anticipated the need at a little bit higher than that. We, we definitely missed the mark in anticipating the need as we were building out these programs. And we like to think about these type of programs as an investment in the future productivity of producers. And that's why it pains us so much to have to announce a factor like, nine and a half percent straight across the board to make this work but we just couldn't find any other way to slice or dice the application data that we received to, to make it resonate and and land where it really might have been needed even more
0: so you've received I understand um, applications totaling over seven billion dollars though
3: that's mm-hmm. what I understand as well over seven billion for that unmet need and remember this is unmet uh losses didn't fit in with existing risk management strategies or any other available offerings this is a revenue-based approach which subtracts all of those out so it's so there's a there was a lot of uh the 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 pain of the pandemic and the economic uncertainty and turmoil that caused Mm -hmm. is gonna gonna be with us for a while yet
0: I also wanna talk about ERP 2022 um, as far as disaster programs. This is the next rollout, but lawmakers I know have been talking about wanting USDA to revert back to the 2021 emergency relief program guidelines for the 22 program. Talk about why you changed the progress, you went to this progressive payment factor on this one.
3: Well, the idea with progressive payment factor is that the the same loss gets paid at the same rate. The first X dollars of loss that you have that are, again, are above indemnified losses, get paid at the same factor. And the greater the loss, one can presume the greater the size of the operation, the greater the equity to absorb that loss. So it's really aimed at helping more producers with more meaningful help And in conversations across the countryside, I've been to four or five different national events. I haven't had a producer come up to me and say, you're crazy as a loon or anything like that when we explain the rationale. The rationale is out of the 210 some odd thousand applications we received, 80% of the producers are receiving a higher payment based on this progressive factoring methodology than if we did the, just the flat across the board payment, like we had to with the Pandemic Assistance Revenue Program.
0: But again, the reason that you're doing a progressive method is because you have indemnified losses that are exceeding the amount of money you have, right?
3: Yeah, well, uh, when when we were asked for an estimate on what we thought 22 uh, disasters would have caused in unindemnified uncovered losses, We sent over an estimate of around $10 billion, and we even undershot that. It turns out it's closer to 12, based on what we've found out since then. And Congress was able to get us $3.7 billion in the Disaster Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act uh, at the end of last year. And we went to work trying to find the best way to get that out to help keep those small and mid-sized family farms out there keep people in our rural communities, and ensure that we've get, we're getting people to the next production season.
0: So in the time, we have about a minute left, Zach, or a little less than that, talk about what producers need to do in terms of being able to qualify for either of the programs we talked about.
3: The PARP applications are all in. Producers, Many producers received payments in the payment run last night, as I understand it. So that that work is all done uh erp2 if producers had indemnified losses that were tracked by rma or by our nap program we've got those you received a pre-filled form sign the form that commits you to two years linkage get that back in if you're a producer that doesn't have a risk management tool there's an application process like we had for erp phase two last year
0: all right. Thanks for joining us. Egg DuChanneau, administrator for the Farm Service Agency. That wraps it up for today. This afternoon, Davis, we'll have Steve Nicholson from Bank right here on Agritalk.
1: Plenty to talk about and spoiler alert. I'm, thanks, Michelle. I'm trying to get, uh, to get somebody together here that we can talk about the dairy uh, legislation with the whole milk into schools. It's something you've been watching, Michelle. It's something we've been watching here on Agritalk. We'll see if we can get them. Either way, it's going to okay. be uh, packed full of info for you, Michelle.
0: Absolutely. So join us this afternoon.
5: Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain! Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's
1: buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride.
5: Love that guy. Me too.
1: Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from Nitsa and the Ad Council.
0: The Scoot Podcast is where we talk about tight supply chains, emerging agronomic challenges, technology tools delivering ROI. I'm Margie Echelkamp, editor of The Scoop and host of The Scoop Podcast. Join me as I interview leaders from across the ag retail sector. Farmers are working hard for every bushel and their trusted advisors are by their side. Find The Scoop Podcast wherever you find podcasts
6: so you are up to date on everything ag retail.